Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, this is Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Will Johnson and Reed Redman. So both of you have been hard at work on a brand new true crime show. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, we've been hard at work. We're launching uh, on January 25th, The Daily Crime. It's going to be, a, uh, as you can imagine, a true crime show. Monday through Friday, we'll have episodes every single weekday. And Reed, you want to tell folks more about what we're going to be covering and talking about? Similar to True Crime Chronicles, we're going to be talking to reporters all over the country about cases they've covered or are covering. And as Will mentioned, the first episode is going to come out January 25th, but the trailer is live right now. So if you go and search for The Daily Crime on whatever podcast app you use, you can subscribe to it. All right. So it's The Daily Crime. Go ahead and uh, subscribe, listen to it. You can check out the trailer now wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. You have probably heard this noise coming from your phone many times before. It's used as a general emergency tone for a number of different reasons. But the one we are going to talk about today is the Amber Alert. You probably know that this is an emergency alert for when an at-risk child goes missing. You may even know what AMBER stands for, America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. But today, we are going to talk about the person behind it all, Amber Hagerman. It's January 1996 in Arlington, Texas. The holidays have come and gone, and nine-year-old Amber Hagerman has had a news camera team following her family around for the past couple of months. Well, what was interesting was that we were actually doing a documentary. This is Rebecca Lopez. She is the senior criminal justice reporter for WFAA in nearby Dallas. About uh, Amber Hagerman's mom, Donna, transitioning from welfare into the workforce. And so we'd been following Amber and had all of this footage of her riding her little bike and uh, opening her birthday presents and uh, just spent a lot of time with her family. She was really excited because she'd gotten these little Pocahontas sheets that uh, her mom had given her because she loved Pocahontas. These are a couple of audio clips from that documentary. Amber's passion for education was instilled early in her life by her mother, who'd learned the hard way how valuable school could be. Donna dropped out after seventh grade. On a November evening in 1995, she beamed with pride as she showed me the honors she'd earned. I had to get A on a row, A, B on a row, and I had to do good things in the class and help. So you make good grades? Mm-hmm. Amber's shy smile spoke volumes about how much school meant to her. So we had some beautiful footage um, that we were getting ready to air. It hadn't aired yet. Look, Mom, I made this for you. Thank you. That's pretty. Dear Mom, this is for you that I made at school. I love you a lot. Love, Amber. Right away, you sense the love between Donna and Amber, a little girl, mature, smart, and intuitive, whom her mother called a worry wart. On January 13th, Amber and her younger brother Ricky told their mom and grandpa that they were going to ride their bikes around the neighborhood and would be back in a few minutes. Her grandparents and her mom told both of them, little Ricky and Amber, that they could only go so far, uh, that they had to stay on the street, the same street, and ride their bikes. But they decided to go ride their bikes a little further away, and they went into this abandoned 
a supermarket uh, parking lot. The supermarket was abandoned, and so they were just riding their bikes at this little supermarket. After just a few minutes of biking, five-year-old Ricky gets tired and decides to head home. He starts the short journey back to his grandparents' house, thinking Amber will follow in a few minutes when she too tires out. When he got back, his mom and, and grandparents asked him, like, where's Amber? He's like, oh, I left her behind. She's still riding her bike. They said, well, go back and get her. Ricky quickly bikes back to where he left Amber, but she is nowhere to be seen. He pedals as fast as he can back to the house and tells everyone inside that Amber is gone. And that was literally eight minutes. And it was that fast from the last time he saw her to the time that they realized she was gone was eight minutes. Where could she have gone? Was she just lost or had the unthinkable happened? That question was very quickly answered. A neighbor actually saw uh, the kidnapping. Uh, Somebody that was near that parking lot saw somebody uh, take the little girl and put her, put Amber into the uh, a truck, and they called police. Arlington, now one one. What are you reporting? Yeah, I I saw a a black pickup, and he grabbed the little girl and he took off toward town. The police did go out immediately, and her family, you know, went out to the to the scene, and they immediately started looking for Amber, um, futilely looking for her. Here is Amber's mother, Donna, describing the first moments of terror after not being able to locate her daughter. I just went crazy then. I just started going towards where my father said she was abducted at, screaming her name, thought maybe for sure she would answer me. But there was never no answer. There was nothing. For the police of Arlington, Texas, dealing with kidnappings were rare. Here is Sergeant Ben Lopez. He was on the original task force charged with finding Amber. Well, I know I was working midnight shift, so this offense actually occurred on uh, on evening shift right before I came in, but it was a big deal from the minute it happened. Um, Arlington, back then, we probably had maybe, you know, 300 officers or so. So... Uh, a child being kidnapped or abducted was not a regular thing. Um, That night, we had some information to be on the lookout for a black pickup truck. So officers were following every black pickup truck that moved in the city, um, you know, looking for probable cause to to get it stopped and, and see if we could possibly find her. Friends of the family begin covering the city streets in flyers, going door to door, asking if anyone else had seen Amber or the owner of the black truck that was wanted by police. We had flyers out and just within hours of Amber, we're sticking them everywhere. We had so many strangers and volunteers just coming up from the woodworks just wanting to help. Amber was missing and everybody wanted to get involved. Everybody wanted to do something. And they did contact WFAA because we had been so close to the family and we started broadcasting her description and all of that on the air. Days of community and police searching go by. Amber's family begs the person that took their loved one to return her safely. We want her back. I beg you, don't hurt my little girl. For four days, Amber's family, friends, and the city of Arlington, Texas wait. But only tragic news would come. We interrupt this program to bring you the following News 8 special report. Uh, we have late developments into the Channel 8 newsroom, and it is a rather ominous development in the case of nine-year-old uh, Amber Hagerman. Apparently he was walking our dog, and uh, he had looked over the fence and had saw something white, looked again and noticed that it was a body. On January 17th, four days after the abduction, 
Amber's remains are found. That day, um, it was actually real late at night, and there was a guy that had, I believe he was letting his dog out uh, to go to the bathroom. It was an apartment complex in Arlington. So they were um, at this apartment complex, and this guy was out with his dog, and uh, they came upon her body in a creek. I immediately knew something was wrong. And they started getting the yellow tape out, put it around my mom's home. I just went crazy then. I said, no, you're not going to tell me something that I don't want to hear. The chaplain arrived here about one in the morning and uh, did speak with the family for some time. He said, we don't know if it's Amber or not. We don't know. You know, we waited hours and hours and that was so hard. But I know in, in a little way I knew that it was Amber. Investigators cordon off the creek bed where the body was found and try and look for any clues that may help them identify both the body and the perpetrator of the crime. Soon, the body is identified as Amber. Came out of a creek bed that lies a little bit down low. And when they finally told me it was her, of course I didn't believe it. She was naked and had been um, strangled. Uh, where there were lacerations around her neck, they believed she'd been strangled. Unfortunately, Poor weather severely hampers the next steps of the investigation. And what was really just so tragic about the whole thing as well is that there'd been a rainstorm. There'd been a lot of rain between the time she disappeared and the time they found her body. So pretty much any type of DNA or anything that they could have linked a killer to her washed away. So there was no physical evidence when they found her body. When she was abducted, I thought, oh, God, you know, I'm never going to be able to touch her again, hold her again, you know, talk to her ever, ever again. And I wanted to see her before the autopsy, before they even touched her. They didn't want me to see her the way she was because she was damaged so much. Her body was cut so much, and she just didn't look like Amber. Amber Hagerman's funeral will take place tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock at the First United Methodist Church in Arlington. I finally got to touch her and hold her and talk to her. And I just told her that Mommy found you and I miss you. That made me feel real good. May God grant us peace that in our sorrow we may know hope. Our little Amber's a little angel in heaven now. We're going to miss her. With no evidence recovered at the scene Amber's body was discovered, police turned to tips to try and get some sort of lead in the investigation. They got hundreds, if not thousands of tips. And I think that sometimes in big investigations like this, the number of tips that come in actually hinder police because there's so many false, and they have to go through all of those tips. And there's so many false tips that come through. And so, and so when you have all of these that you have to, you don't know which one's going to be the one, you have to spend a lot of um, manpower looking at these tips. And so they did get a lot of tips. Um, and they began looking at sex offenders around the area, but they just were never able to make an arrest or link, had any real good evidence that linked them to anyone. The investigation continues, but no breaks come. It haunts the entire community. The guy that found Amber, he kept going back 
day after day with his dog looking for anything, any evidence, anything that maybe um, the guy dropped uh, in the creek or something. I mean, he literally spent hundreds of hours looking for evidence in that creek when police, you know, couldn't be there all the time, just looking and there was just nothing. So short of somebody confessing to this, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know who killed Amber Hagerman. The case becomes cold. Years pass. Amber's family still held hope of finding justice for her. In the meantime, though, they decided that they were going to do something so others may not have to go through what they did. Amber would not die in vain. So there were two things that happened. Um, Amber's mom and dad began a campaign to raise more awareness about sex offenders in the area. And they began pushing uh, for legislation and laws that would allow people to know where sex offenders were in their neighborhoods. Here is Sergeant Lopez speaking about the challenges at the time of getting life-saving information out quickly to raise community awareness. Now, you have to remember back then, you know, there's no Facebook. There's MySpace doesn't happen until 2003. Uh, cell phones are a very expensive item that is normally mounted in your car. So the only way we can get our message out uh, then, you know, is through our local media channels. You know, we had the information and they had the megaphone. So they ended up... Uh, getting a law passed that President Bill Clinton signed into law, and it basically set up a national sex offender registry. So now when you look for sex offenders, you know, we can all go on our computer and Google our zip codes uh, to find sex offenders in our area. All of that was because of Amber Hagerman. All of that system got set up because of, of little Amber. And then there were a lot of community meetings uh, afterwards, with people still really scared because there was still a killer out there and the killer hadn't been found. And so they're like, okay, what do we do now? Like, um, And somebody at one of those meetings suggested, well, what could police have done in the aftermath that would have maybe given us a, a leg up or you know, at least gotten information out faster? And so they teamed up. A gentleman named Tyler Cox, who was a program director for a major uh, radio station here in the Metroplex, and uh, Dee and Mark and several other officers from other agencies came up with this idea and started it in the Metroplex, um, I believe about a year or two after Amber was kidnapped. Um, so with this information, you know, they, they came up with a plan of how police departments would notify the radio stations, the TV stations, and the, and the print media of this is a real Amber Alert, and this is the information we want to get out um, to make sure that, number one, we don't uh, put any information out that wasn't real. So every Amber Alert that comes out is, is heavily vetted and that, um, that we can get the accurate information out as fast as possible. This new team comprised of law enforcement, media, community activists, and Amber's family crafted the first kidnapping alert system in the world. And they wanted it to have guidelines to make sure that it was deployed in the most efficient way possible. Well, there's there's a few different points of criteria. Uh, the main thing is, is that the child is in danger, either serious bodily in injury or death possibly, and that um, there's an emergency um, to find the child. We have to have some information on uh, what happened to the child, you know, how they were abducted. It can be a known member of the family or friend or something like that, and we still will put out the Amber Alert. 
But, um, you know, we need a vehicle description, a license plate, something to go on to give the public to help us. Uh, and those are the things that come together when we put out an Amber Alert. For Amber's family, it didn't bring their daughter back, but her life and death meant something after the Amber Alert system was introduced. It makes me feel wonderful, you know, knowing that we have the Amber Alert, which is a great tool against child molesters, child abductors. And it also, you know, knowing that a child can go back home to mommy and daddy and a child don't have to go through what my daughter went through. You know, she was, she was tortured and so many bad things happened to her. And another mommy don't have to go through what I went through and what I'm still going through. And today, you know, it's 25 years, it's still tough. I, it's taken everything I have not to cry right now, so. And if you were wondering, Amber Alert works. It has brought hundreds of at-risk, missing children home safely to their families. Well, there's been over 900 kids uh, that have been found and, and, and safely, safely brought back home uh, due to this system. Amber Alert has also inspired dozens of person-focused alert systems around the world, as well as a number of different alerts here in the United States. There are several others that have been created since then. Silver, silver alerts you may hear uh, to help find a missing elderly person or someone with uh, some type of cognitive issue. Um, blue alerts we have here in Texas, where if an officer was kidnapped or we had information on a, on a suspect that was shooting at, at officers, something like that, we can put out that information and let the public know, you know, hey, there, there's a dangerous person on the loose and this is what they look like and this is what they're driving. It's, it's expanded well beyond anything I could have ever imagined back when I was on patrol in 1995 and 1996 when this offense occurred and, and how things have come, come along since then. As far as the case itself, it's cold, but it is still open. For Amber's family, they believe it will take someone stepping forward with new information for it to be finally solved. I think it will take someone to talk Someone, someone seen something because when Amber was abducted, she was screaming bloody murder. She was screaming and doing everything that I have taught her when something bad does happen, to scream, to let people know that something's going wrong. And someone besides that elderly man heard her scream. Someone else did hear it. So for her to case to be solved, I think someone has to talk. Detective Gildon is assigned this case. It's currently an open case. Um, um, it was originally worked by a detective named Jim Ford and a task force of officers, several of which still work here. Uh, and they followed leads and, and all that kind of thing back then. And uh, still, if something fresh comes in, it's an open case. We, we work on it. Uh, as things develop. I don't know of any current tips or anything like that that Detective Gildon is working, but um, but certainly if we had, had any fresh information, we would follow up on it. For Rebecca, this case is still very much on her mind. Just how much of an impact little Amber had in this community. Um, people really came together after her death and they really created something that... Uh, wasn't there, uh, and that was the Amber Alert to help people. Uh, and that was because the community felt so uh, distraught. I think the community as a whole was so distraught over the death of Amber and seeing this little girl on her little bike uh, over and over on our air. And, and her murder was not in vain. And I think that they do take comfort in the fact that there's a sex registry, national sex uh, offender registry, and I think they take comfort in the fact that there's the Amber Alert and that other children were saved 
even though Amber could not be. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Spencer Brodig and Reed Redman. So, Spencer, hearing this sort of uh, backstory on how the Amber Alerts came about, it's really interesting. There's a lot to it. And just how it's, in a way, it's almost like it was ahead of its time, right? Because it was before cell phones, before a lot of social media, but it was still a way to spread information as quickly as possible. It kind of tapped into that idea, right? Absolutely. I mean, it really has evolved in a, in a, a lot of ways as well. Uh, if you think of how it initially launched, they wanted to be able to get information out very quickly, like you said, before cell phones, before Facebook, before MySpace even, um, and uh, before texting. And and so they were able to create this system that alerted the media. Then think of Amber Alerts today, where you know it it pretty much takes over your cell phone. Um, you know, you get uh, that emergency alert tone, uh, your phone might vibrate, and it kind of forces you to break from whatever you're doing uh, in your daily life and look down at your phone and engage with, you know, that piece of information that really can save a child's life that's been taken that is at risk. And I know, speaking personally for a long time, I'd assumed that the term Amber Alert was named after a color like the Silver Alert. Um, And it's interesting that it's named after a real person and it's a way to it's a way that her memory sort of lives on and and not only that, but it it helps save lives of children who go missing to this day. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's it's amazing too that, you know, obviously they took her name, but then they also created this acronym for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. And and in fact, in doing some research, uh, you know, on this, in other countries, her name is, is being used um, in countries around the world to represent these emergency alert systems. And when an Amber Alert goes out, there are guidelines that have to be in place. Child is known to be missing in a, a possibly dangerous situation. It doesn't matter whether that child might be with a family member or a stranger. And in fact, a lot of kidnappings, they're not necessarily random, right? When people think of kidnappings, we think of you know, examples like this where someone you know, kidnaps a child off the street not knowing who they are or you know the family has no connection with that person that kidnapped their loved one but in fact according to the FBI um, they report that uh, only 0.1 percent of all missing juvenile reports made in the country every year which is several hundred thousand um, are actually involving a stranger the vast majority are kids that have run away or they've been taken by someone that they know that reminds me of one uh, detail specifically from the Amber Hagerman case um, that we learned from the man who witnessed the kidnapping that she was screaming and kicking when she was taking that she didn't go willingly with that man. Do investigators think that that detail might be maybe a clue as to whether or not he had a connection with Amber or her family? Absolutely. Rebecca uh, mentioned uh, t- to me that you know that was something that they have looked at from the beginning and that the and that Amber's mother is convinced it was not someone that Amber knew because uh, Donna had specifically trained Amber like a lot of parents do to, you know, yell and scream and draw attention to yourself. And that's exactly what Amber did. And so a lot of people believe that it really might have been just some passerby or a stranger that grabbed her and put her into this black pickup truck that they never saw again. And Spencer, one final note, I think, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned DNA at all, but how does that play into the investigation into her murder? Well, this January is the 25th anniversary of Amber's kidnapping. And, uh, you know, the case is still open, like it was mentioned. Um, and there was actually quite a big announcement uh, 
on the 13th of this month, uh, where investigators actually said that there is hope in this new year of 2021 that uh, they might actually be able to submit new, potentially new DNA into a database to see if they might get a hit. So we have no more information other than the police announcing that they are hopeful for this year. Uh, but apparently DNA does play some sort of role uh, in the upcoming months or year in regards to this case. All right, uh, Spencer, thanks for bringing us the case this week. Of course, folks can go to Facebook and find out more about our show and cases we're looking into at Inside the Crime Vault. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.